Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're here for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. All crazy martinis today, and most of them aren't necessarily good. Although, when it comes to the COVID stuff, the underlying uh, uh, news is pretty good that we're talking about how open things can get instead of how close things are going to get. So let's talk about our first piece of crazy news, Jim, which is supposedly about COVID, but not really. It's about the COVID relief plan. I like to call it the Blue State Bailout. $1.9 trillion. The unified versions of the bill will be passed by the House and Senate today. Um, I assume along party lines, pretty much, just like the original bills were in each of the chambers. Uh, And of course, it's supposedly widely popular because people assume that a COVID relief bill, you know, provides relief in response to COVID. So... Uh, The facts can be a little bit different sometimes. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget points out that less than 1% of what's officially known as the American Rescue Plan, or about $17 billion, would be spent on vaccine-related activities and programs, including $8.5 billion to promote, administer, and increase support for vaccines, just over $5 billion to help support the production of vaccines and other therapeutics, just over $1 billion to cover vaccinations under Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program. But the thing that has frustrated a lot of people, in addition to the fact that there's so much bloat in here, including hundreds of billions of dollars to help out states and municipalities that have so badly mismanaged their budgets that they are on the brink of insolvency or at least really, really bad credit ratings, is that these previous bills that passed during the Trump years They haven't been spent yet. That's one of the big reasons Mitt Romney didn't think this uh, legislation was necessary, and a lot of other people as well. We just passed $900 billion at the end of last year, most of which hasn't been spent yet. Most of the money hasn't been spent on schools that has been allocated throughout these bills. And then over at Punchbowl News, Jim, they've added up all the COVID relief, including this bill, and they come up with a total of $5.5 trillion, which I believe is more than an entire year of spending in a typical U.S. federal budget, or at least what it used to be. So what do you make of the fact that the COVID relief bill doesn't have a ton of COVID relief in it? Yeah, look, there's there's a lot of ways you can slice this and dice this to give you a sense of it. For a perspective, back in the Tea Party days in 2009, 2010, uh, the government ran trillion dollar deficits and the complaint was, oh my God, can you believe we have a trillion dollar deficit? Now the argument from the Obama administration, like, look, we have, you know, dramatically reduced tax revenues because of the recession. We have all this kind of spending we need to make because of the recession in order to help people to mitigate the effects. Government has to spend money to keep the economy going. Well, after a while during the Trump years, uh, you know, trillion dollar deficits became kind of normal. And now we are now in the era where like a trillion dollar deficit would represent a dramatic improvement in the situation. We are five months into fiscal year 2021 and we are already just over 1 trillion. For perspective, February 2021, the month we just completed, the federal government ran a deficit of 312 billion. So we're doing about a third of a trillion every month back when a trillion used to be considered bad, right? And then the other point is that, look, because you're running this, because so much of this money is going to be borrowed, then you want to make sure, okay, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to spend money on coronavirus relief, spend it on coronavirus relief. Don't just throw it, don't just turn it into another appropriations bill. Don't just throw more money at every particular government agency and say, well, 
they've had to deal with the coronavirus too. So they need to get some of the money too. Uh, and that is why it's kind of ridiculous that you have an extra 12 million for the White House budget, 3 million for the Department of Commerce expect Inspector General, 50 million to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, 77 million for the Government Accountability Office, 4.5 billion for LIHEAP. Look, you know, maybe this stuff is worthwhile. I actually don't think it is. But remember, this is all in addition to the existing appropriations we passed late last year. This is not to keep these guys going for this year. This is not their usual funding. This is bonus funding. This is extra funding. This is funding on top of what they already got. And that's what makes this particularly un unacceptable. And again, if you really think that these are, you know, tight-fisted Jim and Greg are being so mean and harsh, don't take it from us. Take it from Susan Collins, right? Take it, take it from the most moderate Republicans you can find. Take it from Lisa Murkowski. Take it from... Uh, you mentioned Romney. Like none of these folks are spoiling for a fight with the Biden administration. None of these people are tight-fisted misers who want, don't want to spend any money on COVID relief. They just want the relief spending to be focused on where it's most needed and where it's going to do the most good. And they don't want this to turn into a bonus round of the appropriations process, which is exactly what it turned into. I think we're going to have to update the old Everett Dirksen line of a billion here, a billion there. Sooner or later, you're talking about real money. Now it's a trillion here and a trillion there. And our minds really cannot wrap around how much a trillion dollars is. So multiply that by over five now, five and a half trillion dollars on COVID relief. This is, uh, this is absolutely ridiculous. But Jim, let's be honest. Like you said, both parties have been uh, part of this. Uh, neither party, when they have control, has much interest in spending discipline. We have talked about it from time to time. I know that uh, when the Obama administration was running trillion-dollar deficits and we we're talking about quantitative easing, there was a lot of concerns about inflation that didn't really materialize. Inflation is a real thing, though, and if we keep doing this, it's going to happen. I don't know how bad it is or how soon it's going to happen, but you can't just keep pumping this much money uh, on top of everything that you're already spending and expect there to be no impact. Yeah, and I'm glad that Punchbowl News is acknowledging just how much money has been spent by the federal government over the past year. I'm glad Amanda Carpenter, who's now at the Bulwark Gang over there, is noticing. I'm glad Jonathan Allen is noticing how much the Federal Reserve has pumped into the economy to keep uh, uh, all the, like, that's great, except like we're all noticing this like the day before the passage of the COVID relief bill, it's 1.9 trillion. Would have been nice to have this discussion earlier in this process where it could have actually influenced the outcome instead of, oh yeah, we're really spending a heck of a lot of money here. Well, that might, ha that might have some bad effects down the road. Oh, well. Yeah. Usually the media only points this out during Republican administrations, but uh Hopefully that uh, has an impact on debates going forward. I doubt it will. I'm not sure that any Senate Democrats would have changed their mind if they thought about this fact harder as part of the debate. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. But it's ugly. And uh, for that $1,400 you might be getting in uh, in the check, I think the uh, cost per person is like $5,000 for the total price tag here, though. So enjoy that. All right, Jim, let's talk about some good news today. We've got some good sponsors today, uh, one of which is Theragun. So if the stress of massive government debt and maybe your own financial situation is weighing on yourself, don't let that stress actually weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or uh, regular folks like us, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, the Theragun can really help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it is as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. 
it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theracun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or you're dealing with an injury or you're just the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make it you feel like you're holding something from the future. You just go on their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Yeah, you basically let the app run this thing and it figures out based on where you use it, whether it's your feet, your quads, your back, your neck, your shoulders, whatever it is, where you need attention. And it kind of develops these these therapies for you uh, or it's got some uh, pre-programmed ones as well. It really is simple. It really is futuristic. You're going to love it. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid, as well as elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers. Customers, and yes, me. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini. Theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our second crazy martini now. And let's talk about where the CDC is and where Dr. Fauci are when it comes to what you can do once you've been vaccinated. We've expressed frustration about this in the past because obviously one of the assumptions if you get the vaccine is, especially once you've waited that couple of weeks after the second dose, you can get pretty much go back to normal. Uh, it's going to trigger an immune response. Uh, the likelihood if you do have any symptoms are going to be quite a bit uh, less. And so, therefore, this should be your ticket to getting back to whatever you want to do, for the most part. And that's not quite happening at the CDC. Uh, first of all, not recommending that you necessarily travel yet on airplanes, even if you've had both of your doses. Uh, that was a topic of conversation on CNN. John Berman asking Dr. Fauci about that. And let's just say Fauci did not give the most uh, competent, reassuring answer. They're being careful, understandably. They want to get science. They want to get data. And then when you don't have the data and you don't have the actual evidence, then you've got to make a judgment call. And I think that's what you're going to be seeing in the next weeks. You're going to see little by little more and more guidelines getting people to be more and more flexible. The first installation of this is what can vaccinated people do in the home setting. Obviously, the next one is going to be what you're asking. What about travel? What about going out? What about getting a haircut? What about doing things like that? That's all imminently going to be coming out. When you don't have the data and you don't have the actual evidence, you've got to make a judgment call. Uh, you've had a year, so uh, you should have some data. You should have some evidence. And Jim, it looks like uh, you know things are kind of opening back up. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the third martini. I don't know why they're so careful about this. It should be among the greatest encouragements to get the vaccine. But uh, for whatever reason, they love keeping everybody in lockdown mode right now. Yeah. I mean, a simple question is if vaccinated people aren't safe to travel, who is right? Like, you know, if you're, you're, if you're fully vaccinated, you've, you've now got it. You can't get sick. The odds of you have, or you can't, you're extremely unlikely to die from it. You are uh, also extremely unlikely to have it catch it and have a case severe enough to require you to require hospitalization. <laughs> In fact, you're probably not going to have any symptoms at all if you get it. And there's chances of you, uh, the, the chances of you carrying it, being asymptomatic and spreading it to somebody else 
are dramatically reduced. Now, we don't know exactly how much they're reduced. We, you know, this is where the scientists said they want more data, but they had two fairly big studies out in Israel. That's the country that is doing the fastest job of vaccinating its people. And they said that it reduces transmissibility fourfold. Uh, other statistics have slightly different you know, percentages in there, but, you know, and that, so, but we can safely say that getting vaccinated makes you much less likely to spread the virus to somebody else, but it doesn't completely eliminate it. Well, we're, you know, if your attitude is no one should travel until they are at zero risk of spreading it to somebody else, then your attitude is that nobody should travel. And oh, by the way, like the airlines are operating. They're, they're you know, dramatically reduced than what they used to be a year ago or two years ago. But that's the people are still getting on Amtrak. People are still getting on commuter trains. People are still getting onto all kinds of forms of travel. And it's kind of ridiculous to tell people, well, even vaccinated, it's still not safe. So don't do it. Um, Scott Gottlieb is one of the guys I've kind of turned to about this. And it's funny because this before the CDC came out with their guidelines. And remember, this got delayed a couple of days. There was a lot of kind of interesting claims about, you know, was there some disagreement behind the scenes about just how far the CDC guidelines would let people or would say people could go? Um, Gottlieb's point is that if you if it seems like the CDC is just not giving people uh, even if vaccinated, not much change, you, you really can't change your behaviors then they're just going to start tuning it out. They just won't pay attention to it because you're, and also, by the way, this is also going to undermine the argument for getting vaccinated. What's the point of getting vaccinated if you can't go out and live your life, if you can't travel, attend church services, go to restaurants, you know? Um, I can understand saying that doing all those things has, you know, it still has some level of risk, but as more and more people get vaccinated, the risk of that is going to go down less and less. Um, and then finally, I kind of interesting, you know, obviously the airlines are screaming bloody murder, murder about this. And I don't think that uh, uh, you can necessarily, like, I don't think they want to be reckless. It's their employees who would be at risk for this too, but they also want to stay in business. And I, again, they're in the same category of like, wait, once you're vaccinated, you're two weeks, your body's generating antibodies. You're at really very little risk of spreading it to other people. And if you know, it's always, you can always still wear masks, right? Um I was, it's very intriguing to see Dr. Leanna Wynn, who, by the way, was, you know, she was former health commissioner of Baltimore. She was also the head of Planned Parenthood for less than a year. You may remember her time at that organization came to a rather abrupt end. Uh, but now she writes for the Washington Post. She's a CNN commentator, and she's now kind of this full spectrum health commentator. Greg, I just find it fascinating that her Planned Parenthood time just kind of poof, disappeared from her. <laughs> uh, public reputation. But, you know, she's among those who are saying these guidelines are too timid, they're too limited, and they just don't tie your reopening guidance with vaccination status. Uh, and that this is undermining the incentives to get people vaccinated. Leanna Wen and I probably disagree on a whole bunch of things, but I, I think when she's saying this, I don't necessarily want to say it's an argument against interest, but like, she doesn't want to say the CDC is getting this wrong, but she, if she's calling it this way, she's calling it as she sees it, I suspect. And you start seeing more and more of these doctors saying, look, you could probably let people who are vaccinated do a little bit more. The CDC is really being, you know, excessively cautious about this. And I could be completely wrong on this, Greg. But my sneaking suspicion is that people think that there are some public health experts who think if the public gets any good news, you're going to go right back to seeing spring breakers doing body shots off of each other. Uh, which, by the way, like even without the coronavirus, there are all kinds of <laughs> you don't necessarily want to put certain body parts together like that, much less in public, much less on strangers. Um, you know, but my fear is that the effort to vaccinate people is going to get undermined by people in the CDC getting uh, way too cautious and always, you know, being reluctant. I don't think Fauci does a particularly good job of answering the question uh, on CNN today at all. Uh, I am the, the what makes it crazy is that you're the sheer number of doctors who are coming out and saying, um, no, no, you can loosen the reins a little bit more after this.
Well, yeah, and there's a school issue, too, because the CDC, uh, Dr. Walensky was originally saying the science is on the side of reopening, then the Biden administration uh, basically being a tool of the unions uh, twisted that out of proportion. So the CDC is uh, towing the line on that as well. And so when the CDC starts playing politics, people aren't going to listen. And so, I mean, the whole point of the vaccinations, as well as everything else, is to uh, get back to being able to do the things we love to do. So uh, if you're not going to deal it straight, CDC, nobody's going to listen to you anymore. It's just the facts. All right, let's talk about another good sponsor, though, and that is my pillow. You've known about the pillows for a very long time, but now my pillow is giving the same attention to their towels and sheets. Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The Giza Dreams bedsheets are made with the world's best cotton. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping great. I sure do. Uh, The 10-year warranty and the 60-day money-back guarantee applies to the sheets as well. Washable and dryable and a wide variety of colors and sizes. Just visit MyPillow.com to learn more. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners, as we said, get all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets. Buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0. 104 and mention the deal there. That's mypillow.com, code Martini, or call 800 874 0104 for buy one, get one free on all six piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheets. All right, Jim, let's talk about our third and final crazy martini now. And I think it was just last week where Governor Abbott in Texas said, you know what? We're opening up businesses. Open up as much as you want, 100% if you're ready to do that. The mask mandate is gone. You can still wear them if you want to, but there's no more requirement to do so. And of course, at that point, the mainstream media decided that Greg Abbott wanted to commit genocide against the people of Texas. The hair was on fire on virtually every mainstream media outlet. I just even saw features this morning about people in Texas who are supposedly fearful that their lives are in danger as a result of him loosening things up. Uh, Jim, you uh, last week when we talked about this said the numbers were heading in the right direction. It wasn't crazy uh, that uh, you might want to still exercise some caution. You've had a chance to go over the data in even more detail now, and you feel like the, uh, oh my goodness, uh, pulling out of the hair is even more unwarranted here. What did you find? Yeah, so today's the day it goes into effect, and I thought it would be a good time to take a look at, you know, what is Texas, what's the situation in Texas, uh, you know, how risky is this, what do we see if we take away the blue state governors are good and wise, and red state governors are dangerous and reckless and crazy. Um, well, first of all, looking back over the last two months, you can say the number of cases in Texas have declined steadily, the number of deaths have declined steadily, they're moving in the right direction. Now, you know, many, the people who are critics of Abbott would say, well, yes, but that's because we've had these mask mandates in place. And the moment you take that away, things are going to go terrible. Well, we'll see uh, what will happen with that. The state's been doing a pretty good job in vaccinations, not as good as it could. I, I you know, they're, they're on the bottom half of the uh, of the country, which is not great, but they've also done the most. Uh, they're also been allocated the most. So that's uh, kind of what you'd expect. Demand remains high. They've opened it up to everyone working in schools and childcare. Um, the, the daily rate is increasing. And oh, by the way, like, you know, let's, let's assume that you open things up. 
people stop wearing masks in places they're no longer required to, and, and you start having more cases. Well, you know, right now the uh, 75% of inpatient beds in Texas hospitals are being used. 80% of ICU beds are being used. Um, that's actually, you know, significantly down from earlier. Uh, and by the interesting figure, only about 9% of the beds statewide are being filled by COVID-19 patients. Um, kind of surprising to think about, you know, how, what the most vast majority of people who are in the hospital right now are in hospitals for other reasons. Let's also keep in mind that like unused hospital beds are good news for those of us who don't want to see, you know, hospitals overrun and not having enough staff to treat patients properly and all that. But um, if you're a hospital, you want those beds filled because that's how you make money. That's how you bring in money to keep it operating. So for the financial health, long-term health of hospitals, we do want people in those hospital beds, but obviously we don't want them to be COVID-19 cases. Um, the other thing that I think kind of jumped out at me is you saw a lot of people saying, can you believe Texas is eliminating capacity requirements on businesses? Almost none of the coverage that I looked at mentioned what it was before Abbott, you know, limit, lifted the limit. It had been 75%. So they're not going from 50% to full capacity. They're not saying 25% to full capacity. They're only going, you know, increasing it from 75 to 100. No, by the way, that 75% capacity went into effect mid-October. Now, here's the thing. I don't, I, you know, Greg Abbott is as capable of making mistakes as any other governor. If you want to look at somebody, you want to look at a, criti- at a decision he made that strikes me as legitimately uh, worthy of criticism. Maybe it's when you raise the, the capacity restriction right in uh, mid-October as the weather's getting colder and people are going to spend more time indoors. Um, but then the next thing is if you live in Texas and you're one of our listeners and you walk around, you may not see things all that dramatically different. Uh, I've only been down there a couple of times, but I know that HEB is a very big grocery store chain. They're still going to require masks. Um, Whole Foods, Costco, Fresh Plus, Sprouts, Target, Walmart, all of them are still requiring masks. Uh, Many restaurants are still going to require staff to wear the masks and patrons to wear them when they're not eating. Uh, The city of Austin still requires them. Many public school districts are still keeping their mask requirements in place. So it may not be that dramatic. The only thing that Abbott said was like, look, you know, we're, we're doing, the numbers are going in the right direction. Things are going better. Um, and in his announcement, he says, make no mistake, COVID-19 has not disappeared. Today's announcement does not abandon safe practices that Texans have mastered over the past year. It's a reminder that each person has a role to play in their own personal safety and the safety of others. And remember, this is the statement that Joe, that Joe Biden characterized as Neanderthal thinking and everything is fine, take off your mask. Well, he's not saying everything is fine, take off your mask. There's very much an eagerness to denounce Texas for what they wish they had said or what they want to believe it is said instead of what's actually said. And the last point I make in today's morning, Joel, is that Texas is ahead of the curve compared to most states when it comes to opening up capacity. But not that far ahead than a whole bunch of states. And I like to, you know, a couple examples. Louisiana now has businesses at 75% capacity. Um, here in Virginia, gyms can operate at uh, 75% capacity. Uh, North Carolina is allowing 50% capacity in most businesses up to 200 people. Uh, Kentucky is up to 60%. And in New Mexico, oh, uh, Nevada now has the casinos up to 50%. I mean, those were the ones you figured would be most um, uh, toughest to have the six foot restriction and, and all that kind of stuff. Look, Nevada had to get the casinos open at some point, just, just had, had to restore some sense of economic stability to that state. And then finally, New Mexico, it's got this very, probably actually arguably the best system because it does it based on your county and based on your county's conditions. But right now there are counties in New Mexico where restaurants can operate at 75% capacity. So if your viewpoint is that 75% capacity for these establishments is fine, 
but 100% capacity is crazy. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I don't think that there's that dramatic difference between those two. But here's the interesting cha- you know, difference here, Greg. What do Louisiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Nevada, and New Mexico all have in common, Greg? They're further south. They're a little warmer in some cases. Mm, good guesses, but no, they all have Democratic governors. <laughs> Therefore, their state regulations must be wise and reasonable, whereas Texas and Georgia and Florida are all experimenting in human sacrifice and all of your decisions have to be terrible, even if there's not that much difference between the, the restrictions that are in place in those states. Well said, which leads exactly to my next question, because Larry Hogan, the Republican, he is a Republican, but he hates Trump. Uh, he is uh, reopening to a large extent as well, uh, at least capacities, whether it's churches, restaurants, what have you. So how will he be characterized uh, in Maryland, Baltimore, D.C. media? Is he a Neanderthal, too? Or because he didn't like Trump, will he get the, uh, the treatment that the governor of Nevada, New Mexico and Louisiana get? Because this is a podcast, Greg, and it's audio, I cannot respond with a gif of someone staring frozen with indecision between two options. Um, but I, I, I will note that I feel like in the Washington Post and a couple of places in local coverage, they've tried to make the argument that um, uh, Governor Blackface here in Virginia is being wise and, and calm and that you know Muriel Bowser is doing it terrific, even though she went to Biden's parties um, and that uh, you know, during a travel restriction. And um, that Hogan was the, you know, crazy, reckless one. Um, and I don't think that's particularly plausible. I also, there was, it's, it's also one, one last point I'll make about Hogan in Maryland. There was a point early in the vaccination process where Maryland, either they were dead last or they were just right above dead last in terms of how many doses they'd actually gotten in arms. And I was really ready to tear into them. It was bad, you know, but they, within a couple of weeks, they'd gotten it back up and they were, I don't know if they're middle of the pack or something. They were considerably better than where they'd been. And now I think last I saw, Maryland had administered more doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is the one shot one, you get it and you're done, uh, than any other state. So states can get better. And I don't think, you know, if you go to these types of just issues, you're like, well, I really don't like Larry Hogan. So I'm going to go look for evidence that he's doing a bad job. The data is not off. The data will rarely tell you a simple and partisan story that reinforces your, but we know that your side is right and the other side are wrong. Um, one last point on the, the mask mandates, 15 states never enacted any mask mandate. And if you want to point to, you know, a place like uh, Mississippi, I mean, they rank 50, fifth out of the 50th states in deaths per million residents. That's, that's pretty darn bad. Um, and Arizona was right was sixth, right? So they go. But then, like Alaska was 49th, and uh, Nebraska was 40th. Ohio, like a whole bunch of states that never enacted ma- mask mandates, did pretty well in terms of deaths per million residents. So it's the data very rarely supports the simple story of oh, my party states are good and your party states are bad. Also, Jim. It was Thursday. Tomorrow's Thursday. It's really tomorrow, although it was March 12th last year. So it's Friday's the official anniversary of things shutting down. And then the 16th is uh, the anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. And so when you talk about hospital capacity, getting back to kind of where you'd like to see it uh, in Texas and beyond, hopefully people remember that that is the ultimate goal of, of, of whatever the restrictions were. And if you feel like you need to still take precautions, do it. If you feel like your business needs to, do it. But uh, again, we have to eventually realize there's some risk in life. And uh, as long as the capacity is available, that was supposed to be the benchmark a year ago. Hopefully we remember that coming up soon. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess the thing I'm thinking about is when you look at the sheer number of seniors who have been vaccinated in Texas, I could see cases go up. 
I wouldn't like it, but I, yeah, I could see, you know, look, look, you know, when you take people, stop wearing masks. Remember also early in the week, like the CDC figures had said that, you know, states that had mask mandates and, you know, limited capacity at restaurants did have an effect. Yes. Over a hundred day period, they had a two, less than 2% effect. 1.8%, 1.9%. That's not nothing. We don't want anybody to die. So that's, you know, I, I'm fine on that. But I also don't exactly see that as spectacularly earth shattering difference between the two. And I, I resent these kind of oversimplified narratives of, oh, if you do this, your state will be fine. If you don't do this, your state will not be fine. It's, it's been extraordinarily frustrating throughout this entire pandemic to see people trying to shoehorn the data into saying my side is a good guys. Um, and uh, the, unfortunately, Greg, there's little sign that this uh, habit in the news media is going to let up anytime soon. Oh, no. Oh, no. I think it's going to be back every flu season, honestly. But let's hope not. I don't want to give him any ideas, but I guess I just did. Jim, have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. If you don't already, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, we'd love you to tell your friends about it. We're so grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We really do appreciate those. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great day, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe.